0: From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. This week on the show, we are going to reflect on solidarity, empathy, and joy by listening back to two of our favorite conversations from last year. Both Ross Gay and Dylan Marin are finding hope through difficult times, and their books are about that, too, though they take very different approaches. First, we're going to listen back to Dylan. Now, Dylan has been called a lot of names on the Internet. I'm not going to get into too many of them here, but anonymous people have told him that he is a moron, among other things. But instead of shying away from the trolls online, Dylan has decided to lean in. He is engaging. He is literally calling these people up on the phone. And that is what became his podcast, Conversations with People Who Hate Me. That's also the title of his book, where he reflects on what he learned. It came out last year. Here's Dylan.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This is an honor.
0: So obviously, as a person who interviews people, I am like a huge conversation nerd. (laughs) And I'm just so fascinated by the work that you're doing and especially the care and compassion that you're Mm. showing for people who are are being called out for bad behavior. I can't imagine how much work that takes from you. And just to give people an example, if they haven't heard the podcast yet, I think we should listen to a clip. This is from a recent episode, and I think it really exemplifies the work that you're doing. This is where you're talking to a high school student who participated in a misogynistic meme about an actress. And just a note to listeners, the guest's voice is altered because he's underage.
1: What's really hard is that we don't realize like the impact we have on the internet. So you assume... like. I wouldn't care about me. So why does she care about me? Whereas I think we don't even realize the power that we have when we message someone anything. And the fact that no matter how many followers they have or no matter what blue checks or verified version follows their name, like many people care about what other people say about them Um, and, you know, as a fan of you, I'm going to say you do matter, not to make this too cheesy or anything, but uh oh, thank you, Mr. Dillon. There are there are no words within the English language which could, <laughs> which could describe how flattered I am that you care about me. I genuinely think you matter and I'm saying this very sincerely. Um I feel like when you have a conversation with someone, you're like, well, you're a human being to me now, and that means that I care about your existence. So just know that.
0: You're just reaching out with so much compassion and grace in what, you know, is intrinsically a super complicated situation. I'm just like, what is it like to hold these conversations, Dylan?
1: Yeah, you know, this podcast, this whole project is exhausting to do. But I think there's a misunderstanding of where the exhaustion comes from. I think Hmm. quite often the conversations are my favorite part of this whole thing. It feels Hmm. like you are actively subverting the desire of the current social platforms we communicate on by communicating voice to voice, by communicating empathically, by treating someone else as a human being. It it feels like they all happen in this sacred space um, where people get to know Hmm. each other. Where the exhaustion comes from is everything leading up to it and everything after the conversation. So everything leading up to it is, you know, you have to reach out to a lot of people. I made the mistake of making a podcast that people don't want to be on, (laughs) you know? So (laughs) – and then the other part of the exhaustion is everything that happens afterwards, right? Um, It's not only – Editing it, because I, I take my edit so seriously, that is its own sacred space, while carrying it into the public square where conversation and building bridges often get at best side-eye and at worst active resistance from people who think that conversation is not worth having. Conversation across difference, we have passed that, we are beyond that. It is time for battle. Some people think that. I obviously don't, but I respect that some people do. And so that's where the exhaustion comes from. The conversation itself feels like you are in the presence of the divine. Hmm. It feels like hopeful, Um and it feels fertile with possibility
0: the idea of the divinity i find really interesting i think partly because i don't know it makes me think of of any time when when people are in honest difficult conversation mm. actively listening explaining their points of view i do feel like there's a there's an attention that happens mm. that feels so rare in this day and age. I think, especially when you think about social media and like what happens in your brain when you're just scrolling yeah. versus like actively communicating with another human being, yeah. you know? No, completely. And I
1: think like, and and you brought that up and, and that's very true. Like it has to actually be conversation. It's not about uh, talking to someone who is just going to berate you. It's not about talking mm-hmm. to someone who is trying to fight you and, mm-hmm. you know, this whole concept, this whole project is built on the foundation of empathy. It is, of course, not only necessary but vital that that empathy has to go both ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, critics of empathy, who I think are mostly eye-rolling at how overused that word is, um, kind of don't realize that I'm not saying that just like, kind of unchecked empathy for the other side is how we get to the promised land. No, like empathy is a two-way street. If you are not in mm-hmm. conversation with someone who is giving you the respect of a human being, it's really hard to continue.
0: Yeah. Well, I feel like there's a I mean another word that I find to be super important when it comes to conversations like this is grace. Mm, 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 mm. You know, yeah. cuz and it's it, like it's not it's not a debate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not about, you know, like, well, let's play devil's advocate or yeah. like I'd like some data on that, yeah. right? It's about, you know, giving someone the benefit of the doubt and and believing their lived experiences. Completely. You know? And and that
1: becomes really complicated when it's someone who you've been taught to disagree with for so long. Someone you've you've mm-hmm. been taught is the enemy. I think that grace is not something that's really fostered much in the public square. Offering radical grace to someone um Mm-mm. doesn't feel like it carries as much weight as destroying someone in an absolutely hilarious and devastating and entertaining way.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. So you kind of uh alluded to some of the conversations that you had, especially earlier on in your podcast. Mm-hmm. And we, we have a clip from one actually. And um, this is an early episode and you talk to a teenager who said online that you're the reason the country is dividing itself mm-hmm. and also said some really homophobic things to you. Mm-hmm. And during that conversation, you discovered that you were both bullied in high school. Let's take a listen and then we can chat about it.
1: This conversation is kind of weird for me because I feel like there is so much to you that I relate to, right? there is I relate to the fact that you're bullied. Um, I relate to the fact that People kind of give you a hard time for who you are. And yet there are such fundamental things that we disagree on. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that we're similar or do you feel like that's, that's an unfair assertion?
2: I think we're similar, but like you said, we have very different. We have similar lies, but very different beliefs. You're bullied, I'm
1: bullied, but it's not for the same reason. Right, But I would actually argue and say that it is for a similar reason. I I think people um, are, very, are very cruel to what they don't understand.
0: What's it like for you to listen back to an early conversation like that now?
1: What I hear is me talking to one of the most unlikely friends I have in my life, right? Like, he wrote a homophobic message to me, and I've been in touch with him for the last five years. Um, <laughs> and... I also, like, I think he is a very special person. And I say that because he was, even when we first spoke, he was 18. He was a teenager. He was in high school. Mm. And he was so, I was just blown away by his vulnerability, his self-awareness, his curiosity, his willing to own up to what he said, still acknowledging that he still, he believes this stuff, you know, like, and of course I'm not going to change his decades of learning because we have a phone call with each other. I'm not going to change decades of learning if we have ten phone calls with each other. Uh, right. um, but I think, you know, there there was there is always such a magic to my conversations with him. And um I'm not taking credit for that. I think I think it was it was that I stumbled upon someone who was really down to do this Mm -hmm. it's almost nostalgic to listen to that because that was um Mm -hmm. the person who who kicked this whole thing off
0: so so you also have a book that's based on what you've learned from the podcast Mm -hmm. that's out now um you dedicated the book to your mom Mm -hmm. and in the dedication you say she taught you to walk toward conflict and not away from Mm -hmm. it which is beautiful and i think speaks to grace as well um but it also makes me think of the idea that That we should be seeking out uncomfortable conversations, you know? I mean, do you think that's kind of what she's getting at when when she says that to you? Yeah, I mean,
1: this is truly what she's given me. I mean, (laughs) she's given me so much. I love my mom. (laughs) um, But I mean, I think the biggest gift that she gave me that enabled me to do this show, to do this project, is that, you know, I genuinely am interested in conflict and it's very important to say emotional conflict physical conflict um, terrifies me Um, and so this is why I don't do this project with people you know with the homophobic strangers who have punched their uh, fist into their open palm and muttered a homophobic slur at me, right? Like, I'm not like, hello, mm-hmm. sir, would you like to sit down and have a talk? Like, no, I have Engage. to preserve my own safety. Yeah, yeah. no, that's um, not safe. Yeah, But I am fascinated by conflict. So my mom is a therapist and I think she really helped me reframe and and raised me to reframe conflict not as a bad thing, but something to be mm-hmm. understood. So it's never something to avoid. It's always something that actually, if you look at it, it can teach you something about yourself and your relationship with the person. And let's take mm-hmm. the example of a homophobic commenter who, who said something homophobic to me. It really feels so powerful when you're able to say, well, why do you believe those things? And suddenly you both are navigating through their personal and religious history, considering everything they're saying, not as necessarily a direct affront to you, but a an entryway into why they believe what they believe. And again, that doesn't excuse the hurtful things people say to you, but they help Mm -hmm. us contextualize them. And by helping to contextualize them, we are able to more easily understand the world and I think be less afraid of it. And I also think it's the acknowledgement that they didn't invent these ideologies, but these ideologies were taught to
0: them. Dylan, Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure to talk with you.
1: Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me.
0: That's Dylan Marin. His book is called Conversations with People Who Hate Me. After the break, we are going to hear from the magnificent Ross Gay talking about his book, Inciting Joy, which is a devotion to an emotion that we often overlook. Ross Gay is the author of one of my favorite books, The Book of Delights. He wrote another one last year, which is equally lovely. It's called Inciting Joy and it is all about, yes, joy.
2: Joy is there and we join it or we enter it or we reside there.
0: This essay collection reflects on the complexity of life and the moments that create solidarity through joy and
2: grief. It's like the light that emanates from us as we help each other carry our sorrows.
0: Over the course of the book, Ross covers a wide array of topics that range from the death of his father to basketball and gardening and the beauty of a cover song. Ross, welcome back to Nerdette.
2: Thank you. Glad to be with you again.
0: So you start the book by talking about how joy is kind of typically considered to be not like a serious pursuit. It's silly. It's fun. It's not something we should think about too hard. Do you think this book is sort of your attempt to take joy seriously, or is it more of an attempt to take joy joyfully?
2: Oh, good question. Um, <laughs> I It's absolutely an intention to take joy very seriously and to sort of argue that, for, I think first to argue that joy is as serious a thing as there is, and then to sort of take it as seriously as possible and to study it like that. Mm-hmm. I love how you <laughs> asked, asked that question. I think, yeah, the answer is probably yes to, to, to consider it joyfully which which maybe means as richly and complicatedly and um yeah gathering uply as possible
0: it's not at all a looking away from sorrow, it's an embracing of life, including sorrow
2: it's it emerges from sorrow as far as I think of it as far as i as yeah. far as I think of it, it does not exist without sorrow like and that's sort of the thing it's and that's to me what makes it a grave a serious and a grave emotion because it emerges from the grave and when When I think of the grave, I don't mean, I don't just mean serious. I mean that we die. Mm. Yeah.
0: You mean the literal grave? (laughs) Yes,
2: yes, yes. There's this thing, and I keep thinking of it, like Philip Glass at some point talked about in, in a documentary about like, now he knows that the music is always there. Like there's just a stream or something running Mm -hmm. beneath the ground and he can kind of dip his bucket or whatever into it. Oh, I love that. Beautiful. And it's sort of like, it feels like that is a thing maybe with joy too, that it's there. Well, what are the Mm -hmm. practices or what are the things that incite, you know, our ability to join that underground stream?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and I think what's also really important about whatever metaphor we're using is that, you know, and you clarify this in the in the intro too. so often, especially in this capitalist world, we think of joy as something that you either achieve or buy as opposed to something you dip your bucket into.
2: Yeah, totally, totally.
0: So the title of the book is Inciting Joy. Incite is a really fascinating verb here, I think, just because, I mean, even the definition has kind of this negative aspect, inciting a riot, inciting violence, something like unlawful about it. Mm -hmm. How'd you land on that one?
2: Well, there is something unlawful about it. I mean, when I think about like the sort of the potentials of joy, which is to say, join in our sorrows, which is to say, recognizing we're connected to one, other, know one another, mm-hmm. which is to say that our loves um, are co- are often common and profound, that is disruptive actually to a particular yeah. kind of order and a particular kind of order, frankly, that is like. Yeah, they killed Jesus for that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's it's tied into the consumer and the thing you're sort of talking about, like that. I think a requirement of capitalism or a requirement of this sort of profoundly alienated mode of living that we find ourselves in I can speak for myself and I think maybe I, mm-hmm. I'm not alone. Yeah. A, a kind of antidote would be recognizing and practicing and studying the ways that we are fundamentally not alienated from each other or say the earth.
0: Mhm. I love the idea that, you know, as you say, joy is what emerges from care and pain, joy exists in tandem with sorrow and And joy through sorrow and through care and pain also creates solidarity, which is what you're talking about.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And I love that you said tandem. That word is such a pretty word. I don't know the etymology of that word, but like, Mm -mm. and even like joy exists in tandem. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: (laughs) Joy exists in connection. And, Mm -hmm. and, And I think one of the practices too, is to sort of Uh, broaden our notion of tandemness or broaden our notion of like what, what constitutes connection, you know, like Mm -hmm. it feels really important to recognize that you're connected to the rain and that you're connected to the trees and you're connected to the, you know, the squirrel or your neighbor.
0: Mm -hmm. That's gorgeous. I loved, that reminds me of what you said. I'm not going to be able to iterate it exactly, but you can help me. The idea that Um, the way our skin changes in the sun reminds (laughs) us that we're more similar to sunflowers than we may think
2: yes I'd say something like heliotropic something or others
0: (laughs) it's just gorgeous it's just so good it's so good so you talk about plants and living things a lot in this book. You talk about gardening. You speak really beautifully about the idea of privilege mm. in that specific context. And I would love to discuss that with you because you end up using the word disprivilege a lot, which is one that I hadn't heard, but I think is a really important and helpful framing around a lot of the conversations that are happening these days.
2: It feels to me that the, the use of the word privilege often kind of imagines that there's something almost biological about inequity hmm. you know that <laughs> it's almost like um preordained or it's just like that's just how it is as opposed to um a set of decisions often policy decisions you know often other imposition, kind of, imposition. Yeah. yeah so the idea that inequity is in fact an imposition destitution does not happen by accident Destitution happens by choice. So, like, put it like this when I can get, turn my water on and not be poisoned, I'm not privileged. When you can't turn your water on and not be poisoned, you're disprivileged. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I just thought that was really interesting and and such a fascinating way of, you know, addressing so many systemic issues that I think so many, like more and more people seem aware of them and able to talk about them. But I think you're right. There is still sort of this like, well, I can't help my privilege, so I don't know what I'm supposed to do about all that other stuff, you know?
2: I think there's something almost comforting. And when I say comforting, I mean like, oh, well, it sort of disarms us actually from understanding that.
0: The active forces at play.
2: Yeah, yeah, that there's actions that we're in the midst of actions. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's fascinating. So another thing that comes up in this book a lot, which I found completely delightful is cover songs.
2: Oh, good. Me too. (laughs) Forever.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What do you like so much about a cover song? I mean, it seems like kind of, it's, it's such a perfect little nugget in so
2: many ways, you know? Yeah, totally. I was just writing a little essay about walking into this coffee shop and Lauren Hill, the Fugees Mm. was on and her singing roberta flex um killing me softly with his song it's so good famous cover beautiful cover and then i was thinking this other thing which is that i'll be sure covered that song too in like the late 80s like that's the version that i really grew up with actually (laughs) but there's so it's three there's three covers inside of um the fuji's cover just so beautiful to me but partly what's so amazing to me about that is that you know we're always riffing on each other which feels beautiful which just feels like yeah solidarity solidarity fundamental and the more we can study that and honor that and love that like yo we are riffing on each other it's beautiful
0: yeah
2: when I was writing about Luther Vandross covering Dionne Warwick's a house is not a home I talk at length about the 1988 NAACP image awards where he's singing Mm -hmm. the cover to Dionne Warwick There's a kind of interaction between them that's so lovely. And there's a look on her face that I contemplate a lot and the look, and she's kind of crying a little bit and wiping away tears. And the look and the understanding to me is that she's witnessing how big the boat of her song is, you know, Mm. and that's what covers are beautiful to me. There's another thing, you know, my friend Noti told me that, I mean, she said she was listening to some cover songs and she was like, there's something about the cover that suggests there's enough. Mm
0: that's so fascinating because you could totally make the argument that the cover implies that it's not enough because there needed to be a new version of it.
2: You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 You can say that. Yeah. You can say, it. yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think Noty's right too. I think there's the, yes, the feeling of like, um,
0: like if all you had was this song, you could still do it so many different ways and it would be perfect every way.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it would be a different song and it would be pointing back and, and an expression of gratitude to Dionne Warwick.
0: It's really cool. So I mentioned you're a professor. You talk a lot about education in a number of different ways mm-hmm. in this book. You have a lot of lovely insights. <laughs> uh, is it true that you really do give all your students A's these days?
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I wouldn't grade them if I if I, if I I didn't have to push a button. I If would. you didn't yeah. have to.
0: And you made that decision after you got tenure?
2: <laughs> I did. I mean, I think I probably got alert to that as a possibility around the time. But I remember sitting in a room where the writer Fred Moten was talking about Um, teaching. And he talked about a professor of his who just gave everyone A's at the beginning of the semester so that then we could get to work. And that just like changed my whole approach. It wasn't immediately after that, but it was eventually where I was like, it doesn't do the thing that I'm interested in doing.
0: Mm. Which is making beautiful shit together.
2: Which is making beautiful shit together. And which is like sort of encouraging or making the space for us to sort of be mutually bewildered.
0: Ooh, I love that. Yeah, how much do grades need to play into that as much as, you know, if you could just say, "Hey, listen, this is off the table. You don't need to worry about this. Behave as if you, you know." Yeah,
2: yeah. and to me, some of the stuff that I'm trying to do is to like let us study how to care for one another. If the if the grade is actually ultimately is the most important thing, which is also to say that my approving of you, which is also to say probably you're competing with your your classmates then the idea of care is automatically out the window. It can't be, it can't be the most important thing. I'd be happy to hear how it could be.
0: Mm. So what's something delightful that's happened to you lately?
2: You know, I was, um, I've been on a little bit of a reading tour. Um, mm. So I was just, oh God, I read in Philly and I grew up right outside of Philly. I had family in Philly mm-hmm. and dear friends in Philly. And I was, reading this one, um, the beginning of this one essay about laughter, and mm. and in this moment of the, of the essay, I'm sort of talking about how we often are laughing about with, um, around our dead. And mm. I was saying uh, how my papa, who died at like five foot two, but I guess he was like six feet tall at some point maybe. <laughs> and so when he was in the hospital, you know, he had like a zillion surgeries, like he had knee replacement, knee fuse, back surgery, everything, mm. everything. And by the end, he was five 5'2", but he would still tell the doctors he was 6 feet tall. And I was telling that, I would read that little part of the essay, and my my cousin, Amber, who's exactly my age, as I was midway through it, through saying it, she, like, she was walking in a little bit late, and she cackled. And she cackled. <laughs> and she cackled so loud that the audience actually applauded. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, my God, that's beautiful. Something I really have been reveling in lately, which is very related to that, is just the idea of, like, really utilizing all the different words that exist to describe laughs. Oh,
2: yeah, I love it. I love it
0: like cackle is a really good one and it's so specific and perfect and like guffaw oh, is also I love it. Yeah. adjacent and just so you know it's like chortle. sometimes i yes and even like i i was trying to think of a way to describe the laughter that bubbles up out of you when you kind of don't expect oh, it Oh yeah and the best word i could come up with was effervescent
2: oh, i love it
0: right it's just such a it. such a pleasure
2: yeah i love that
0: and this was such a delightful Just fabulous conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time, Ross. I appreciate you.
2: Thank you. Thank you. so fun to talk to you.
0: Ross Gay is the author of a number of books of poetry. His latest essay collection is called Inciting Joy, and it is indeed a joy. Alright, that's it for this week. Thanks, as always, for listening along. We are going to be back next Friday with a fresh episode for your ears. And of course, in the meantime, you can keep the conversation going in our Facebook group. It is a private group. It is about a 1000 nerds strong. It's called Nerdette Headquarters. And it's a great place to ask for book recommendations or share something that's been delighting you recently or just to get to know each other. You can find that and join if you go to facebook.com groups slash Nerdette HQ. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman, J.P. Swenson, builds our newsletter. And our executive producer is Brendan Banasak. We will see you next week.